Hey, Warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. And I can make the sound again. She's back. Sort of. She's back and well. (laughs) Well. Nice. Well. Yes. So thank you for tuning in to our last two episodes. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback on a very hard topic, and this will be our last and final one for this particular series. Mm Mm-hmm discussing suicide we have a special guest tonight we do we love her very much it's miss jesse marsh hi everybody <laughs> Ooh, you that, was a, nice that was a radio sexy voice. radio voice dang <laughs> don't forget to kiss I'm the say mic. every i'm gonna say everything like that oh my sexy God. <laughs> and then we went to arizona <laughs> oh my gosh it was very sexy <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Wow. So before we begin, I was talking about Ted Lasso, and I do believe it to be the best show I think that's ever been done for so many reasons. It is, it has like the lightheartedness of The Office, but better almost character development. And the second season is all about mental health and suicide. And they do it in such a way that is just brilliant. So if you haven't checked it out yet, give it a go. I can't wait. I've only seen those first two episodes. I from highly we endorse New Orleans, it. and I loved him so much. His character is like so lovable. I know. And I just wanted more, so it's good. Yeah, it's I have really a little good. crush on him. Yeah, I, Jason Sudeikis. Yeah. yeah, it's a stash, isn't it? <laughs> I, I could probably leave that. Yeah, but he does have that that charming. He does charming uh, aspect to him. Still with. Um, now I can't remember who he was with and had a baby with. <gasps> Beautiful actress. Um, and Google. Anyways, yeah, we'll Google it. Uh, but anyways, I, I didn't know if they were still together or not because if not, I mean, we could just send them a message, maybe. We could. We could. <laughs> <laughs> Some girl kind of thinks you're interesting, but not the mustache. But not that can we get rid of the Ted Lasso mustache. Wait, what's his name? Olivia Jay- Wilde. Jason Is that Sudeikis. it? Jason Sudeikis. That's who he was with, was Olivia Wilde. Jason, Jason Sudeikis? Why did I say Statham? That was weird. Did I say that? In my brain I said that. That's not who that was. Olivia Wilde. Jason Sudeikis. Okay. Did you say Stidham? Like Mark and Dan? Maybe like, it's because I've been Lululemon. watching so much or listening to so much LuLaRoe podcast. <laughs> I don't even know, guys. I don't know. I'm also a little bit anxious about this episode, so that could be part of it. Yeah. She ha- He has a spouse, Kay Cannon. Oh. Oh, not anymore. Until 2010. Oh. 
That Wait. was 11 years ago. Can you believe it? Wait a second. Was yeah. he with Olivia Wilde? I'm, I'm still stuck on that. 90% sure. Mm. Hmm. Warriors. They're split. Oh, darn oh. it. He's Chelsea. available. <laughs> He's available. <laughs> I mean, probably Kevin wouldn't like that. <laughs> Are you sure? Randy would be okay because Famous he'd be people like, don't count. That's true. He'd be like, you could get, I you get a couple get of those? In on this? Like, I, right. Like, who do you think they could introduce me to? Right. Also, what can we get out of this? <laughs> OMG. Ooh, wow. nerves are flying around here. Yeah, I yes. know. Yeah, yes. Amy's a little nervous. It's okay, And now baby. I'm talking in third person, which I think I have, I don't think I've ever been nervous about an episode. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It's Amy's first, folks. It's a big one. Yeah, it is. It is. So I have a little disclaimer, and the one of them is that there is. I want to give like a little trigger warning for suicide and details surrounding suicide that might not be. You might not be ready to hear. And then I also want to say that um, I'm sharing this story for one reason, really, truly, and one reason only, which is what why we do everything that we do. And it's to share our stories and say the things that are hard and say the things that people aren't talking about. So this is a probably one of the worst two days of my life ever. And I'm talking about it and I'm talking about the details to take away the stigma and the shame around trauma and suicide and all of the details that go with that. So once it happens, what do the loved ones do? You know, there's this whole like secret world about death. Like there was, there just should be a handbook someone hands you and is like, and you also need like a person, which that's why Jesse's here. Cause she was my mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a freaking Jesse or else you, I don't know how you would get through it. But all of that being said, if you are here, like, I don't know. And I don't think any of our warriors are, but if you've tuned in and this is not like something you're listening to because you believe in that and you just want some juicy gossip, just please turn it off. <laughs> yeah. I don't want that to be the reason that I tell this story. There is no, I have nothing, nothing about that is my reasoning. And I just want to make sure that people listening are listening for the right reasons as well. So let's let people know what you are going to be sharing your story about. Sure. So I'm going to be, uh, Jesse and I are going to be telling the story of our trip to Arizona. And so the day that we found out that Scott died, starting there all the way up to going out and viewing his body and picking up his remains and seeing the place where he died. So all of that was... So movie-ific. Movie-ific. I like it. Movie-rific. It was, it was, it was one of those things that I think we kept saying like, this can't be real life. Like, why, where's the cameras? Why isn't anybody following us? It just was so surreal. So surreal. And the emotions that went with it, talking, I want to talk about those too, because I, a lot of people, when they have grief, they're like, well, is it okay that I'm laughing or is it okay that I have comedic relief? Like, so we're going to discuss that as well. So that's the story I'm sharing. I have not shared that with maybe a handful of people. Have I told the story of Arizona and what it was like to man do that. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Can you start in case we have new listeners just tuning in for the first time? Can you start and tell everyone who Scott is and 
um, just a little bit about him and like a quick. <laughs> That's such a uh, hard thing to ask you. Can you just quickly summarize Can your you relationship? Summarize? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Scott and the struggle. Because the struggle was real. Yeah. Um, so Scott was my husband of 17 years and he was, he lived with bipolar disorder and it eventually, um, took his life. So, We say on here, if you haven't listened before, died by suicide because he, I don't believe, did it in a selfish way, but he did die um, in 2019 in May. And, you know, it was it was a very, especially near the end, a very tumultuous relationship with him trying to get healthy. And so you can listen to my episode on bipolar. I talk about the fractured brain and how I truly believe that, like, once it's fractured so many times, it's hard to put it back together. So, to start, he was out in. Tell, can you? Okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm gonna dose and dust backwards a little. Docent, please, <laughs> darling. Can you take us back about two weeks prior to his death? Sure. And kind of what was going on between the two of you, and because I I want you to also be able to include. Um, I do think that's important. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm going to go back further. So, um, so he died in May and he left, he had left in January and his reason for leaving in January was to do a 30 day treatment program in New Mexico that was, um, for trauma and bipolar disorder and severe depression. So he went out for that. Also, I had after 17 years finally said like, we have to do something different. Like we can't keep doing what we're doing because the cycle just keeps going and it's becoming detrimental to our children. So that was my first time ever, ever saying that to him. I always just like, okay, we're on. Roll Let's go on. It. Let's mm-hmm. go to the next one. Like, okay, so we forgive, we for- forget-ish, and we move along. And so this time, we just were like, him as well. He was so tired of me controlling his life. So he was like, I'm going to go do something different in hopes that <clears throat> this is the answer. So he did 30 days out there. Talked to him a little bit. He was, and even when I got the notes back from the place, he was extremely manic. So his conversations with us was just atypical. It was very different from who he was as when he was regular, regular Scott. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, regular Scott. Um, I'm also at this part writing my book right now. So I'm really in deep about who he was. He was extremely caring and lovable and really would do anything for anyone and was protective and was hilarious and kind and the smartest man I knew. Yeah. So protective is probably the biggest thing is that he protect, he wanted to protect the three of us, me and my son and my daughter so much that I think he was protecting us from himself by going out there. Right. But he couldn't verbalize that. So it was just a lot of mean words. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, we were not on good terms. Um, but April happened, April, I remember having a conversation on the phone at the end of April, uh, where, We joking, we joked about like, I had just gotten a new tattoo and he had his and I hadn't, we hadn't seen either yet. And I was like, I bet mine's, I don't know, just being silly about that sort of stuff. Yeah. And 
you know, just him talking about the adventures he wants to have with Lily and Avery and I and where he wants to go and all these dreams he's dreamed up out there and that he just needs a little bit more time to get better. So he was done with his 30 days and he lived in New Mexico and worked at um, a bar and restaurant or whatever. And then, you know, spiraled out of control there, lost his job. So that was April. I, I think it was the 23rd. I want to say 23rd that I spoke with him. And then I basically could not get a hold of him. Yeah. From then on out. And so from that point until May, is it the 12th, 11th or 12th? I'm not sure. It was, um, I think it was overnight on, it was overnight on 12th. Mother's Day. Yeah. Yep. So overnight on the 11th. I'm not sure. So he, disengaged. And I do think that I didn't even know that was really a sign. And that is one sign. I think that the more I read later that you can definitely find with someone who is suicidal, who is pretty committed to doing it is that they disengage. Had I, or the kids talked to him, it would have pulled him back. Mm -hmm. So we didn't talk to him. And I just, I was like, I called his family. I called his friends. I asked everyone, have you spoken with him? I was, and you know, I was fucking angry. I was so mad. Mm -hmm. I had like $19 in my bank account. It got overdrawn. Like I had no money whatsoever. He had like just gotten his first finally after five years of trying his social security check, but didn't like give us any cause he needed it too. It was just, I was in a bad spot and I was just, I was bitter and I was, I was mad and I, and the kids were crying for him like every night and he wouldn't answer his phone. Mm-hmm. So there were moments where I said things like you better be dead. Mm-hmm. Like, or else I'm going to come out there and get you. Like I was so fucking mad because these babies were all crying in my bed at night. Where's dad? Where's dad? So then finally I got like scared then. And then like the the last week before he died, it was all like, please call me, please call me. Like I remember being at my, on mother's day, being at my grandma's birthday party and calling him that day even and saying like, what is going on? Like, where are you? You know, and just trying to find him. And then, you know, I used my therapy and I just was like, I gotta let go. I can't control this. Right. So I truly had, I went to work on Monday and wasn't really thinking about it and was really into teaching what I was teaching. And I was like having this like amazing lesson with the kids on the floor and, um, my boss and my two friends came to the door and it was just odd. And they said that they, that I need to come with them, grab my phone and come with them. And I was like, well, you know, okay, why am I in trouble? And so going with them, I think I spoke about this on the last episode where I talked about Scott, but that is how I found out that day at work. I went to my, um, boss's office and my mom, I called my mom. He said, you have to call your mom. And she told me what happened. I knew as soon as she said it wasn't the kids, I knew before I knew. So, um, at that point, like, you know, I, was just, just like when everybody else has sudden death, you're just like completely like you got steamrolled. You're just like, what? I don't even know what to do next. Right. So, um, my friend Tracy drove me home and, um, soon after Jesse came. So if you want to share about how you found out. Sure. 
So I was pulling into my doctor's office. I had left work to go to a doctor's appointment. Wait, Scott's doctor, right? Yeah. Oh my God. And so, um, that was like, you know, definitely kind of a strange thing that I'm walking in to see this doctor that also knew him. Loved him. They mm -hmm, loved each other. mm -hmm, She's wonderful. Um, so I was walking in and I got a call from a number that I didn't recognize and I absolutely never answer my phone. Usually even if I do (laughs) recognize the number, (laughs) but, um, I didn't know who it was and then they left a voicemail. And so I, I mostly don't even check the voicemail, but for whatever reason I did and it was your mom and I could tell she was super upset and she said, you have to call me, you have to call me. And I just remember thinking, did something happen to you or did something happen to him? And I was just so like scared to hear what was, you know, going to be on the other side of that phone call. And so she told me and I said, okay, I'm walking into this doctor's appointment. It's going to be like a five minute appointment and then I'm coming right over. And so I went in and my doctor came in and I just, you know, kind of lost it, especially because she knew him. Yeah. And so it was like so strange that I was able to say like, this thing just happened and you know this person and I'm sorry that I'm telling you this. You're like the fifth person in the world that knows this, you know? And, um, you know, of course she was great because she's just a lovely person. But, um, so then I came over to your house and do you remember where, where you were when I came over? Was I in bed eating no. Doritos? No. no. <laughs> you were at the bar. <laughs> and I don't know. It's like fragmented for me. I just remember a bag of Doritos. There were definitely Doritos. Yeah. And wine. Mm-hmm. And his parents showed up. They mm-hmm. were there as well. And you slept over. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that night, I think we were all just kind of processing and, yeah. you know, speculating. And, you know, you go through so many things of thinking, you know, why now and what Well, happened? and we should say that he, we got the phone call. So his parents got a phone call from the sheriff, the sheriff, I guess, um, in Arizona. So it remind you, he was in Santa Fe. So in Arizona, and they said, you know, we found... Um, his ID and you know, he has been, he's died and I don't know about you, but I thought it was a joke. Like I was like, he's definitely fucking with all of us. Like he's going to like go underground or go to like South America and just like pop up one day. And I truly, truly thought it was a joke. And I think that's why I changed my mind because we slept on it. And the next morning, I remember walking downstairs and we were all having coffee sitting there. And out of nowhere, I was just like, I need to go. Yep. I remember when he said that. I was like, that. I have to go. And it was because I thought it was a joke. Right. And I really didn't believe it. And so I was like, I guess I have to see it to believe it. So. So we decided to go and we got plane tickets and just such a surreal thing to like book to these flights and drive to the airport bag is weird like what do you take to mm-hmm. go find your husband's body and like see where he died like what do you wear to that these are the things that i think that no one thinks about but like when you're doing it you're like i don't know yeah and just the act of i mean traveling last minute is always stressful 
Um, but when you're going for something where it's already tragic and you kind of don't know what you're getting into, like anything could happen. We could find anything. And we really wanted to know what happened. Yeah. We wanted to try to piece it together. And so dealing with those strong emotions and the mystery of it. And that was the thing is that we decided we were detectives. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. We were like, what do we do now? I should, I should tell you this. And this is the thing that I'm telling you that I have not told hardly anybody. And it's because secrets, it's not just a secret, but things that we keep inside don't allow for healing. Right. So I think that like, this is like, you know, we talk about the throat shock or we talk about saying things out loud. When you say it out loud, it's not that it's less painful, but it's less, I don't know. Overwhelming. Yeah. There's this, there's just a freedom in saying something. Mm-hmm. And I hope that by saying this story that's incredibly uncomfortable to tell, that there's a freedom in somebody else and you'll feel like you can share your story with someone that you trust. I'm just going to happen to tell it to the whole <laughs> damn world. So Scott died at the airport. Um, so when we got to the airport, my first thing was like, I remember running to security as mm-hmm. if like this officer was going to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, first we went, we just talked to, you know, one of the airport security people. Yeah. And I remember us being like, this is going to be weird. So be patient with us. Yeah. And we explained it because we wanted to go to the site where it had happened. Right. And I think that man was like, am I allowed to tell them and how like he definitely felt uncomfortable because he didn't know what he was allowed to tell us I think right so then we had to go to like a more official (laughs) booth of some sort yeah and that was when I definitely started to get like you will tell us and I'm not leaving until (laughs) yeah they weren't (laughs) going to I know why do you think that is they probably were afraid of some kind of liability I see of like what would happen sure um, it was on the top floor of the parking garage and that's where we went up the, we had all of our bags, we had all of our shit with us. Like we just landed. I hadn't slept in like two days. We go to the top of the parking garage. So we take the elevator up from the airport to the top of the parking garage. And then we're like, we get out and we're like, well, where the fuck did it happen? And like, there's four sides to it. Right. There's four sides. So we're like, I don't know where this was at. And, and it's probably the size of like three football fields. It's huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And high I, or nine stories high, I think. But or the wide, wide, like how, wide, how, wide. how big it was. Huge. It was huge. It was huge. could have definitely fit three football fields yeah. on top of gosh. it. Yeah. So we didn't know what direction to go. So we just kind of wandered. It wasn't until our second trip to the airport that we knew exactly where it had happened. And we'll explain how we detective that out. (laughs) Um, I remember, and I don't know if it was, I think it was the first time I remember. Now, I, I had taken some Xanax and some wine, and that was just, if you've had a death, like, you know, you, I don't know, maybe you can. I could not function at all, especially like with this size of grief without having some sort of help. So I was a little bit like, I was able to like, I was weird. I was almost able to think clearer. And I just thought to myself, I didn't even tell you this, but I remember thinking to myself, 
because I didn't tell the kids. The kids have no idea how he died. I think Lily believes he died in his bed somewhere. And that's fine. That's what I want her to think. Um, but what if one day they want to know? Like, I could just see her turning, like, 18 and being like, Mom, you never told me, like, I hate you or whatever. So I took video of the whole took a lot fucking of video. parking garage. Because mm-hmm. I was like, what if she wants to know where it's happened exactly? What if she's like if she me? She wants to go and see. Yeah. What mm-hmm. if she's like me and needs to know exactly what happened? Mm-hmm. So we took pictures. We took video. We did. We took some that day and then we took a lot more on our day out. Mm-hmm. So at that point we get up there and we're like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't even know what we're looking at. So we're like, let's just go. We got an Uber to this like holding station that had like confiscated evidence and that sort of thing. And lots of people getting out of jail, lots of people getting out of jail, people like coming to get their stuff that was taken from them if they were arrested or something like that. And so, you know, there's like this glass, like bulletproof window between like the little guy behind the, behind the, um, the desk. There wasn't anything little about him. I remember him being ginormous (laughs) and I was like, Hey, lazy butt, you can get up. Yeah, it, he didn't want to give us... He didn't want to do his, anything. It was Scott's bag. It was his, like, duffel bag. And, you know, we really needed it. And, you know, they're telling us to come back another day. And it, this became... The situation became that, like, we just had to bulldog everything. At every step of the way, Jessie had to do that. She had to bulldog. Like, she had to, like, force herself on like to these people like no you're doing this and it it worked out every time which is kind of funny because i think sometimes people in certain types of authority situations like that like they kind of dig their heels in when you get like demanding such a different way though than like just being like a crazy karen i mean it's quite a story and i feel like when you share a a, just a, a smidge of it i'm like good luck arguing with me as I stand here with this widow. Yeah. Um, so oh, fortunate hours. Right. Yeah. Right. 24 at this point, but yeah. yeah. And so, you know, fortunately most people were able to find their humanity and the, you know, bulletproof glass was not necessary because there were moments where I was <laughs> like, I'm coming through this glass. Um, so they did finally, I mean, we had to wait for quite a while, yes. but they did finally bring his duffel bag. It was like out. the most decrepit waiting room. Do you yeah. remember like the, it was the, like, it was, it was, there was a lot going on there. There was a lot. Going there were a on. lot of like stories a, that we wanted, wanted to, like, to make a documentary about. And like, it was just, she was like, just, there was a lot of people unwell that were there as well. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, and I know the answer to this, I'm sure, but I felt, feel like I should ask anyway. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that there isn't any sort of liaison for the police department that has a training, some sort of training in, in speaking with victims' families or. I, I could tell you that if there was, we certainly did not speak with them. And there was, there was a detective that I got like his number somehow and he was the person that was kind of like being a little bit helpful a little bit but he only worked like certain hours it was very challenging and i do think he was trying you know the best he could to give us information like where do we go to get this duffel bag like what is the name of the building is there someone there we can talk to 
Um, Cause you walk in, it's just a regular, like just a building with a waiting area and you don't know what to do. And then like when they bring the bag, it's like between like the double doors. So like they open one door, put the bag down, then they unlock the front door so that you can't like, and then the bag's just like sitting there. I see. So, so in the, in the meantime of all of this and maybe we're, it's, it's so hard to remember everything in the order I think that we're out happened, of order, but it's okay. Um, because in the in the midst of all of this, I remember like I had this note on my phone, like a you know an iPhone has the notes app, and I was just like writing things down from this detective. And one of the things that we had to do was to contact a funeral home because someone needed to collect his remains. Yeah, it couldn't just stay where it was. Yeah, and so. Um, we had to, you know, I'm like in the, you know, I'm Googling like funeral home Phoenix. Like we basically picked, well, she picked a random funeral home mm-hmm. and we weren't able to see him till the next day. Right. No, I think it was the day we landed. Was it? Mm-hmm. Cause I remember what you were wearing. I had that green dress on, which is what I had flying home. So it was the, I don't think it was the next day, but I, it's so hard to remember. It is hard. So, um, this, you know, detective was kind of giving us some direction around what to do, um, what needed to be done, like kind of like these different things of what we would need to do. And how else would you know? And this is what one of my reasons for telling this story is you don't realize how many things there are to do. Like someone, you have to ask someone to go to collect their remains from either, you know, if someone dies in a hospital or if they're, you know, in a morgue. Um, And then they want to know if, you know, what do you want to do with this person's body? Do you want to see it? Do you want to not see it? So we had to make decisions like that on the fly. And think about how intense that is to decide like in a in a matter of you know 30 seconds if you want to see this person that you love and then who's gone yeah and you're gonna miss your chance yeah so you have to and it was like do it now or never right and as a courtesy it was that day you were right okay as a courtesy they put him on a table and moved him out of like the morgue area into a room. It was like a like a viewing room, like a very sparse. And found like room. I don't know if it was in the lost and found, but like found a hat to put on his head and to found a um, blanket for him. Yeah. Now because I didn't, I didn't, I knew he wouldn't care or want an open casket, so I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to cremate him. I remember standing in the hallway mm-hmm. with you and being like, I don't know. I don't know. And you're like, you need to. And um, I knew in my head at that moment, like this is kind of like it. Like, even though we got his stuff, he could have just left that because it's like so Scott. Like, it's so like yeah. it's so like multifaceted. Elaborate. And that's like the mm-hmm. kind of thing he would do. Yep. So I was like, Okay, so it still might be okay. I don't know. In the back of my head, I really thought that. I really thought maybe. I had the same thoughts in my losses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like, this is not real. This is not real. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the important things to seeing the body is that 
how do you believe that? Anyways, so I went in and um, it was shocking because I hadn't seen him since January. Right. And I was shocked with how like good he looked. Yeah. I was too. Like really, really shocked with how good he looked. And I don't want to go into like deep detail, but there were some things that I was like, that's what happens when you die. Like it was just things at 40. I did not even know, you know? And so, and to just be in a room with right the body of someone that the two of us knew so well, so well, and no one else is there. It's just as a really strange, shocking, intense experience. And like, as a grieving widow, you get a little irrational. And I remember being like, I just want to see his feet and his hands. And you're like, they said not to touch. And I was like, I don't care. And And then we're like, we're going to get in trouble. I was like, I really don't care. (laughs) And I, so I, they did say like, you can look at this arm. I do believe that one side of his uh, was badly broken, but the arm that had the new tattoo that I hadn't seen, I got to like see that arm and, um, I just laid on him. I laid on him and I gave him a kiss and I cried and I told Jesse I wasn't leaving. I was like, look, I can just lay right here on the floor. She's like, you can't. Yeah. I had to take you with me. It was horrible. I didn't want to leave. I did not want to leave. Like, because it's so much more real once you walk out yeah. the door the other way. And yeah. I felt like I just felt him there. And I felt like, you know, I know as much as anybody else that the body is nothing. But it just felt so comforting to be there with him. And, to hold, and I was like, this is the last time, like, I'm going to get the comfort of his body. And how do you put a time frame on that? Yeah. And how do you put a time frame on that? But they're like literally out in the hallway like this. You know what I mean? Like waiting for me to be done. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. And to be standing there with you while that happened. Um, and I didn't feel like I could give in to any emotions yeah. that I had because I was the support person. Right. And so I still don't know if, if I've processed that. Right. And I can't even imagine for you, if you feel like you've processed it. Because I felt like there were too many things to do. Like I didn't, there was too many tasks at hand. Even though you were taking care of them, we had like a very short time frame. My kids were at home grieving. I had to get home to them. So we had to do this quick. Maybe for that moment, maybe for the moment that I laid on him and I kissed his lips and I just said babe like I I can't even believe like this is it like I had a conversation with him like how like I mean we know how you know like and and Scott and I were just always so silly so of course I said silly things and was silly and all of that and um you know I think one of the weirdest things I did but at the same time like it made sense for Scott and I is I was like, babe, you ready for our last picture? <laughs> I took a fucking selfie. And I look at it sometimes because I just miss his, miss him. And at that moment, being with his body made me feel like I was with him. 
And I think that there was something about that room and something about the expression on his face that was like so peaceful, even though like he, he was dead, but there was something I felt when I looked at him, like, and people say this all the time, like people say, you know, you're at peace now. And I don't mean for it to be that cliche, but I remember looking at his face and thinking like, I've never seen that peace. I agree. Because he didn't have peace when he slept. He Mm. was terrorized with nightmares and visions and things attacking him and his sleep apnea. And he never had peace. And so I lost all anger when I saw his body. Mm. I was not angry anymore. I had let go of that. Um, And now it was just like straight grief. Do you remember though, like what you said? Cause you were like, I just, you're like, later on, I think you were like, I really thought I was going to sit up. I did. And be like, gotcha. I did. It was, it seemed like that could totally happen. I know. And I don't know like why I needed to see all four limbs. And it's just like, there was a lot of things I had to check to make mm-hmm. sure like this was real and this really happened. And so after we left, after you kindly removed me because I was not going to go. Like, I'm not kidding you guys. I'd still be there. I have a, I have a quick question sure. for Jesse. You know, listening to that was very emotional and I wasn't there with you being the support person and not feeling like you could break down. Have you, um, had this experience before or was this your first time dealing with something like this? Have you had loss that's close? To not, home? um, I mean, you know, grandparents and, um, you know, a few other people in my life, but mostly that were older, mm-hmm. nothing like this. This okay. was definitely, um, you know, someone who was both young and close and it was unexpected, kind of that trifecta. Um, yeah, I would say it was, it was the first time, but it just, you know, there was like a job that needed to be done, right? you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that there's something about that, that not, I'm, I'm, Amy always jokes, like Amy's very empathetic and Jesse is not, and and I'm not, but I have the special set of skills (laughs) 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 that I am able to take all of that and like put it over here. And sometimes I'm not sure if I ever go back and tend to it the way maybe we Mm -hmm. need to. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's like, it's a good job for me. Yeah. It's a good job for me. And I, I'm as horrible as the whole thing was like, I'm so thankful to like, I'm thankful that you trusted me with that. Um, I'm thankful that, as much as I wish you never had to experience any of that, I'm thankful that we experienced it together. Yeah. It's like something that bonded us. Like we go way back. We and lived I together like in I college. Wanna, like, but time out with our story real quick. Cause we didn't really explain. It's not like Jesse's my friend and she went with me. Jesse knew Scott before I knew Scott and we went to college together and they had a very interesting, close frenemy relationship. <laughs> Just because totally fair. They both, I could yep. see that. Their, their, their personalities butted uh-huh. heads. But like my favorite story. Both very strong personalities. My favorite story of probably Manic Scott. Cause this is, or just his, I don't know. 
if it was his personality, but I think I know what story. Uh huh. Uh huh. So Jesse's got, um, this is, I mean, listen, this room is full of fucking hot messes. This is why we love each other. Uh, Jesse has it's stage true. four colon cancer. I mean, I don't now, but I did. She did. Yeah. I'm going back. Right? Okay. Yeah. And Scott shows up to visit. With, I think he stopped at the convenience store and got you like a Reese's cup or Wait, something. I have to tell you what he brought. Oh, this is great. This so, like, is so good. So like, <laughs> so, like this is fantastic. And so, and he probably just sat there and was like, I don't know. Tell me what happened. So he shows up and I think maybe he didn't even tell me he was going like, and he, he just. He texted me, but it was like two minutes before he <laughs> arrived. And he's like, are you home? You know? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like in my pajamas. I remember those pajamas. And my visiting pajamas. Mm-hmm. Vera Wang. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones for <laughs> when people are visiting you and you mm-hmm. want to look kind of nice but mm-hmm. be comfy. That's my recommendation. Um so he shows up and, you know, people are, as, as people do, they bring you casseroles and they, mm-hmm. you know, bring you blankets and whatever. And he shows up with a whole bunch of candy, which is funny because I'm having zero sugar at this right, point because right. I'm convinced that like sugar will immediately kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he shows up with like all this candy and then he has these, he has these, he has these, these videos like dvds from the library Library. that like he's had for a while (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like oh i'm like when he didn't go to the library and pick out movies he knew you would want to watch no He probably picked them out from his own overdue DVD library. What happened is he was like, oh, Monroeville, Jesse, cancer, my friend, sheets. Okay, get her candy. And what else do we have in this car? (laughs) And so I said, I was like, I go, when do I need to return (laughs) And he goes, never. It doesn't matter. And I go, that's going to make Amy mad. (laughs) So we proceeded to have a lovely and hilarious visit in my living room. (laughs) And it was actually really great. And it made me laugh a lot. The lesson behind that on another topic in itself is just fucking show up. It's true. It is. It's It's true. True. Just show up. Yes. Because you have that. (laughs) Even if it's with with overdue DVD. Whatever you've got. Like, (laughs) that is, that was probably one of the most recent stories of the two of you and like one of the funny. There's plenty, but so I guess my point was Jesse and Scott had their own relationship outside of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being there with someone who also knew him as well as I did, right? Especially through the whole evolution of like church, not church, that sort of stuff. Like, there was just an evolution of his diagnosis, our our, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So you were there for all of that too, and so. It wasn't just like being there with a random person. Now, I'm sure it was very difficult to not break down. I don't know that I that I did though on that trip. I was the only pretty... time I remember you crying was the second you saw his body. Yeah, like for just a maybe like five seconds. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we really were not like having those kind of like it was emotional moments, even though the whole thing was so emotional. But it was like over 
you know, 72 hours or yeah. 48 hours, however long and that, it was. And that's another thing to think about. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. have been with, um, a friend who lost her husband in a similar manner. And she said to me at the funeral home, again, just show up. It made me so uncomfortable, but just show up. Like, so I showed up and she said to me, she's like, I feel like I should be crying, but I can't. Right. And and I feel like with you guys saying it this way, I think it's important for people to know who have friends grieving that in that first I want to yes. say like week. Yes. You're on another planet. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so you're not acting like you yes. would expect someone to act yeah. when they've lost someone. I mean, right. we had conversations with Tressa from Means Are Good yeah. talking about how all three of us in our immediate grief yeah. were like laughing, making jokes with our friends, right. but also like not. Yeah. And like in this very weird space. So I think it's really important for people to understand that, that that's a n- very normal. The tears reaction. and the breakdown come, come later, after, right? You know, mm-hmm. late at night when no one's around exactly. and you're like engulfed in pictures or something. Yeah. You because know? in that first week too, you are so surrounded so by much people activity. and there's, there's so, so much, much to do. do. Exactly. Yeah. Like you are so busy. And then it's like that week after that yeah and it, like the I, I always say it's like two weeks to a month after the death is when you hit like the true yeah. depths of grief because you're alone yeah all those people that had showed up for you mm-hmm. aren't yeah. there anymore right. yeah unfortunately um and so i think it's important for people to know that that it's like keep showing up for yeah. those people we haven't stopped having sleepovers since yeah. no we haven't we Scott still died do them. we still do them <laughs> we're like 12 year olds um so we okay so okay so i want to i want to get back to the funeral home because this is like these are the things that i remember and this is what i don't think people think about when someone dies so we go into the office and I swear she was like 17. I don't even know. She was very incompetent of the funeral home. Uh-huh. Okay. And do you remember like all the questions she had for me? And I was like, I kept looking at you like, I don't fucking know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just had the most traumatic moment of my entire being. I don't know how many death. And that's the thing. How many death certificates? I'm going to tell you right now. Get them all. Get as many as you can because you can't get them again for some reason or it's impossible or hard or whatever. So I was like, I don't know. And so we like got 20 of them or something. And that's not something someone's going to teach you. Right. Right. Hey, when they ask you for death certificates, ask for more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need it for the bank and you need it for the, you know. And you just hold on to some of them. And you don't know. If you don't know, how would you know? Later, like to get the, to have him removed from Lily's school. Mm. Like there's things that you don't realize that Mm -hmm. you need them for. And to go back then to Phoenix, and it would have just been a nightmare. So we finished up there and we left. And I remember walking out of there and were we not in the strangest part of town? It, it felt like, like that whole trip we were in every strange part. I felt like we were town. in a deserted, that sounds weird, deserted desert. But it was like you looked around and it was just like, is that like Breaking Bad or something? Like, I mean, that's, yeah. like, that's what it reminded me of that. And I was like, where are we and how are we going to get a car out here? Right. Well, I've been there. Fairly recently, you know, since we were there two years ago, I did not recognize anything. And that tells me, like, I don't, I remember, like, you know, maybe three months ago I was there and leaving the airport. Don't remember this road coming back. Like, there's nothing. I don't have any memory of like the, the landscape or any of that. Like, I just, I, I had no room in my brain for that. 
So I would agree. I'm sure if I go back, I would not recognize anything. I only know from pictures and from what you say and what I say, and we piece it together. So we should talk about like the duffel bag and kind of yeah. like going through that. Um, so why don't you talk about what that was like, like taking this giant duffel bag, knowing that this is what he had with he, him at the end I, of his life. I believe life. he had a suitcase and the airport would not like help me find it. I don't know if he did or didn't, but basically these must have been the belongings that were most important to him mm-hmm. that were in this duffel bag. And it was wet because it rained the night yeah. that he died and he dropped the duffel bag before he jumped. And it was just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I should have, one of the other signs is giving away all your belongings. And he did mm-hmm. tell me in that last conversation that he had given all of his stuff away and he can fit everything in a book bag. Yeah. I, sh- you know, what a shoulda, coulda, like you can't do that to yourself, right. but there's no, two signs now not. where, you know, he, he showed me that those are two signs, like looking back, you know, but Scott was interesting, eclectic, different giving his stuff away would not have surprised me. It wouldn't have surprised me. He had a ton of compassion for homeless people and for people who were just like down on their luck. Yes. And and I'm just going to give a really quick story because I think that sometimes I forget to tell these sides of him. So he is right before he goes to Phoenix, he is hanging out. And since then I have talked to all the people that he knew in, in New Mexico and she's, she tells me this story. It's very random. She's like, we decided to go to Walmart like at one night and be silly and do all of these things. And she was like, he didn't have that much money, but like he bought like socks for all the homeless people like that were on the street and like handed them out. Sounds about right. Like yeah. that's just who he was. And right. so, you know, there was that part of him giving everything away that I don't think that it, um, was so, a red flag. It was a red flag. He, um, Okay, so the bag, God, the bag had a lot of stuff in it, Jess. They're like, like layers upon layers of things. And, you know, being in the funeral home in that moment was literally probably the saddest thing I've ever seen. But a close second is like you going through stuff in the hotel room. Do you remember what the funeral director gave me? He was like, this was on him. Do you want it? It was a rubber band like that you would put around fruit. It said Mexico. That's right. It was green rubber bands. That's right. And I was like, that must have been around his wrist or something. (laughs) Better keep this. Yeah, thank you. It's come in handy. So anyways, it's just, that's my Scott. So yes, going through his things was painful. There were journals. There was artwork. There was his wallet. Um, You know, just trying to piece together the letters of things that he had. Is that where his phone was? So it was in the duffel bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I knew you had that. And in his wallet, we found a couple things, not much. Um, but one of them was a baseball ticket from the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We call because we were just trying to piece together. Like, why did he go there in the first place? Where did he stay? What did he do? And so much of it is still a mystery. We, yeah. It's still a mystery. But the fact that he went to the baseball game the day before, has always like, I don't know, like plummets me. Like I've just been like, what? That doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. Baseball. He wasn't like a giant baseball fan. That's not true. Like he loved laying and listening at night, like in the summer with the windows open on the radio. Mm -hmm. And he, and him and I went to games and he took Lily to probably a game a week. Hmm. Like they went all the time. 
He wasn't so, like like raw raw pirates or anything like that. But he followed baseball hmm. and the statistics and those sorts of things. He did really enjoy it. That it sounds kind of like a comfort thing. Yeah, yeah. That it, sort of like I'm going to do this one more time, they, and I'm going to relive some memories with my like that I had with my daughter yeah, and with yeah. my wife. And yeah. I feel like they may have been playing um, Denver. Or Colorado Rockies. I mm. feel like that might be what it was. Um, when you guys were out there, did you follow them? Like I mean, when we you guys loved to out go there? to baseball games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He watched. I just drank beer and got a tan. And then, you know, when he took Lily, they he taught her all about it. And, like, that, she had a pirate's flag. Like, she, this was, do you remember when they were good for a little bit? Mm-hmm. She was, like, four, I think. Yeah. Um Oh my gosh, she was, she was, they were, they were so into it. And it was just, it was really sweet. Um, so yeah, so he went to a baseball game. His license was in there. I don't know, there wasn't much. There was, it was mostly the journals. It was mostly the stuff he wrote that was so interesting, like trying to figure out, like, what does it mean? And were there any clues? Right. And I probably poured over those for months after every night Mm -hmm. trying to find a new clue. I went through his phone on his search engine trying to find a new clue uh, to his thoughts. Um, You know, he had a list of things he wanted to do when he got home. And that was an interesting list. And, you know, I think the heartbreaking thing, the biggest thing that I talk about in therapy is that he really hated me at the end. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of that in the journal about his, like, just like anger towards me and my controlling this his whole life. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's not a handbook on how to handle or how to like, you know, manage bipolar. So right. had somebody said to me like lay off, he would have just, you know, my grandfather told me this. They, he told me this and I'll never forget it after Scott left to go to New Mexico. And I just said, I can't anymore. And he's like, that's okay. But you do know he can't do it without you. You ground him. Mm-hmm. And I truly think that's why he didn't talk to us for two weeks. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wish I kept like looking. I was like, maybe there's like a little like, I love you, Amy. (laughs) I mean, because he used to like write me romantic letters and cards Mm -hmm. like constantly, like to like a daily thing. Notes everywhere all the time. And so he was very affectionate towards me. I think he was just so pissed at the end. Yeah. He had done everything right and he had tried so fucking hard. Yeah. And it didn't work. Right. He was just defeated. That's yeah. how he felt. Yeah. I um, want to share this, though, to give you a little happy heart. That on January 28th, he had posted Amy Baumgartner kicking my heart's ass one conversation at a time since 2002. Mm. So he might have been angry, but that love was still there. Oh, Yeah. And in every, you know, whether you believe in it or not, every mediumship reading that I get, it's, he's so sorry. And he is like apologizing and saying how much he loves me. It's not that I, I I don't, I don't not believe in his love. I think he had to hate me to die. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I really do. I can, I I can agree with that. I do because I, you know, it was a very big love story. Um, so I think that he had to go to that spot to die. So 
we were laying by the pool, which is something that I'm sure that you're like, how could you be laying by the pool when you're grieving and your kids are at home sad? Like, what the fuck else do you want me to do? You know right. what I mean? Like, don't I'm judge. The, do don't, not judge. Don't judge me. And mm-hmm. Jesse said, she's like, oh my God, we have to do um, a, in order to get the remains back and all of that, we had to do a, what's that called? That you write it up like obituary. a obituary. Oh yeah, the obituary. We did it yeah. so fast that we made mistakes, and so like, imagine that. Like you have to find a picture. That's mm-hmm. it's so fast. And I remember your friend who owns the funeral home was like, "No, I need it by three. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What?" And so that's another thing that has to happen so quickly. Yeah. And it's like you don't want to miss something. Like you don't want to neglect to include some important yes, relatives so that need to be in all it. Of the relatives in. Sure. And people get mad about stuff like that. People love to get mad about those. They love to get mad. It's, I, it's funerals, will readings, and obituaries can cause a shitload of like family mm-hmm. feuding that can last decades. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She said to me, you know what else you need to do? Like, you have to do it. And I was like, nope, sorry, not doing it. And she said, why? And it was telling people on Facebook how, how like 2019 is that. Mm-hmm. And I said, because once I put it out there, it's real. It's real. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I just saw his body. I remember telling you this. I know I just saw his body. But the second I write this and the second I post this, then he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was so hard to tell people. I remember... <laughs> the empath in me trying to like desperately call and get a hold of everyone that I could because they didn't want them to find out. We on made Facebook. so many so phone calls many and phone that's calls. like the sitting by the pool. That's what we did. Was calling people and being like, I'm so sorry I to have tell some, you this. Yeah. I have some really bad news. And it's like that part of it. I haven't thought about for a long time. I can remember walking around on that deck of that pool and calling every one of our college friends and like asking, Oh, Hey, do you, by the way, at the end of the conversation, do you have this person's number? I'm trying to get a hold of them. And I just remember thinking at the end of that night, like I just ruined like 25 people's days, like in a huge way. And there, there was a lot of emotional weight to that. And there was a lot of emotional weight because A lot of them weren't there. Right. And they didn't stand by him in the way that you would... I'm assuming they would have hoped that they had done. And there might have been some regret. Um, It's very hard to be friends with someone who has bipolar. It is very, very hard to be their friend because they are going to be an asshole. They are going to push you away. They are going to steal your money. They're going to borrow. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Scott and I didn't talk for uh-huh. a year. Yeah. He told me he was going to throw me down the stairs. Yep. <laughs> he sounded he like he meant it. it. And something like, I hope you die from your cancer. Right. Or something he like did. That. He said, I hope you die from your cancer. And oh, and he also said, and in a hundred years, no one will remember your name. Isn't that such a Scott <laughs> Baumgartner thing to say? Scott Baumgartner thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man. Damn. Like, Damn, wow. man. Yeah. Wow. And that's, and that is how he burned his bridges. And he did it often. Uh, we found we found our way back. We found our did. way back. Thank God. Yeah, um, I'm thankful for that. So, I mean, I have a lot of opinions on. I'm, I'm appreciative of people coming to my aid at that time, but man, I could have used some help for those 17 years. It was so hard. 
So I think it was probably hard to hear that a friend that, you know, you had lost touch with because they were so fucking difficult, um, did what, you know, the worst thing that we all thought he could do. Right. There and I think probably that's... a lot of guilt attached to that for them as well. Yeah. Because it's like you go through those moments of why didn't I see it? Why didn't I realize it? What did I miss? Mm-hmm. And then they're probably thinking, I should have been more compassionate. I should have been more forgiving and understanding that it was his illness and it wasn't him yeah, doing right. this to me. Like, right. I wish I could do a class for this, not for the spouses, but for like all the people in the spouse's life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. say like, let me just take this one and tell them like, this is what's going to happen. These are the things they're going to say. They don't mean it. This is how you can help their spouse. You know, like letting them stay up all night to like do whatever does not help anybody. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, in a way I did feel guilty. I felt like I pushed a lot of his friends away, but it was only out of the fact that they came around like once a year and then we had to pick up the pieces for four weeks afterwards because they stayed up all night and he wasn't rested and did all of these things and, and it was just such a something you can't do when you have bipolar. Right. So I remember I have a picture of it on here. I was looking, FaceTiming Lily, and both of us were like looked like death because we had been crying, and she was just so sad in her little bed and um, just wanting to get home to her. And then Jesse's like, "You're never gonna fucking believe this. Our flight was canceled. I could not, but not delayed, canceled." canceled. Like indefinitely, it was just canceled. It was just canceled. Like figure I something see. out because we're just canceled. <laughs> okay. So that was that was stressful because then we had to stay at the hotel another night and you know figure all of that stuff out. But it did give us the opportunity to do one thing that was very difficult: to go to the police station to meet with the detective. So we started out. When we got to the airport, we wanted to know if there was any security footage because we really wanted to know exactly where it happened, exactly how it happened. And they would not. I needed to, I needed to know. Yeah. And they, the airport did not want to give it to us. And so we were back and forth over who could at least, even if they couldn't give us the footage, who could allow us to view it. And so we finally, this detective that I was constantly like texting and on the phone with, um, told us that we could come to a different police station and he would show it to us. That was, that was another really, really, really hard decision for you. I remember him saying to me, are you sure? Like, are you sure? And then I made him replay it over and over because it just we like, watched it like four wasn't times. good enough for me. And I begged him to give me the disc. And he wouldn't do it because it was not part of protocol. It took me a year to get it. Yeah. A lot of calling, a lot of hassling, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know what I wanted it for. And um, it was another one of those like decisions that you have to make. Like you're standing there and you're like, do I want to subject myself yeah. to this? But if I don't, what if this is my only chance? Yeah. And it easily could have been. They could have mm-hmm. lost well, they, that. Well, they erase it quickly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like you're you're making that decision. Like, am I going to expose my heart and my brain to watching this incredibly tragic thing? And you know, if you don't, you might not 
get to. And there was then more pieces to put together because he he goes over to the wall and then goes back into the airport, like all the way away the back way into in the building, to the airport. Mm-hmm. And you're and watching I'm it, like, and you're almost like, and, and "Don't, I, this is what I don't was, do I it." Was yelling, I was yelling, "Go in the elevator! Go in the elevator! Go in the elevator! Like, call me and go in the elevator!" Like, duh, this already fucking happened. And then he comes out the other door. You see it on a different camera. And he like looks over and then like starts pacing and then he drops his stuff and like, you know, there's a whole series of things that he does that I just am like yelling into the screen. Cause you see him like conflicted. Oh, so you see conflicted. him so conflicted. So like conflicted. he does not want to do it. No. He didn't want to. He did not want to. No. And it is. It's like you're watching a show. And it even is. when you're watching a show, you know that already happened too, but you're still yelling at the television. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I would watch it. <clears throat> Once I did get it, I would watch it in bed all night long. Like, I don't even know how I taught. Like, I just, like, never slept. I just, like, like if I would have, like, here and there, and then I would take the time, and I would be like, where were you? Like, okay, you were sleeping. And, I mean, it was just... It was... I, I still, even though there's a lot of trauma to it, I would rather know than not know. Yeah. So I'm glad that I saw it. Yeah. Also, yeah. there's something in your in your brain when you lose somebody to a um, unexpected death mm-hmm. um, that you make these things in your head of what happened instead. And I think also I would want to know and, and be like, is the, is the airport liable of, for anything? Was there something that, you know, that happened that maybe he didn't Could really want to do this? Could it have been mm-hmm. an accident? Could it have been foul play? Yeah, Could right. it, you know, cause you right. play these things because right. you don't want it to be right. anything but, you know, right. that could have been prevented. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't even know if that could have been prevented or just delayed. Now here's an interesting thing that airport security told us. It's a very common thing. Like, like two not, a month, three a month. Yeah, it's like, like that. not that unusual. From right that spot. And the same spot. And it didn't hit the news. There no. was no news about it. And I will tell you, it was fucking beautiful Where when we stood there. Like, I was like, and there was a little bit of solace in the fact that that was his last view. Like, the mountains and the, mm-hmm. it was really pretty. Because we did see the video. Um, we were able to know exactly where it happened and so, so when we went day, back or whatever to the airport day. whatever day we left you know we went with enough time to go up there and pour one out for our homie <laughs> we um <laughs> we poured we poured the less the, the rest of our wine into juice sippy containers cups. sippy cups so that we could carry them to the deck of the um parking garage and I just really wanted to sit there with his stuff and I just really wanted to, um, be that's where not he true. was. I didn't have his stuff. Remember, well, that's a whole nother thing. We had to mail it back to me. Oh, that's right. We had to go to the post office, didn't we? Yeah. We went to the post office and mailed it home, mm-hmm. but I wanted to sit where he was now that I knew exactly the place. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I just really needed to be there and mm-hmm. we almost missed our flight because of it. Mm-hmm. We did. So there's a whole series of videos that I just find to be hilarious and they make so much sense when I think of grief and I think of like trauma and I think of like, 
you, when you do what you have to do to do what you have to do, right. but I'm also running like yelling at the, at the poor, um, you know, airline people. Cause we weren't sitting next to each other. And I was like, no, we're going to sit next to each other. <laughs> so, and I didn't know any of that happened. And that's when you know, you have a good support person. Yeah. She made it so that we sat next mm-hmm. to each other. Seamless. Know. Seamless. <laughs> seamless. So seamless. So we get on the plane and the flight attendant comes over to me and she's like, I am so sorry for your loss. I know there's nothing I can do but here. And he has me four bottles of wine and says, I will get you some food in just a little bit. And then got us sandwiches. We were not chips. sitting in first class. We were not we sitting were in, in, in business class. We're in the back of the plane with the, with her. <laughs> and this woman, we, we wrote, I, wrote her, I, I, I did too. Note. I wrote to the airline and told them like, yeah. this is a phenomenal person. Like yeah. give her a Everything. week off. Um, but there was a guy sitting across from us. And he was like, why do they get that stuff? And she was like, they just do. Oh, good for her. She was amazing. She even like wrote me a note and everything like to say, sorry for, sorry for your loss. Um, I'm glad I could help just in the littlest bit. And there was just the kindness of that was so Mm -hmm. important because it meant everything. It did. It's a long flight. Mm-hmm. It's not a short flight mm-hmm. and I needed to have a little bit of like compassion and mm-hmm. love from a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. But very important. And she was know. in charge of the wine. Exactly. <laughs> and like just gave it to us. So thank you. And I just, I was just really, really grateful for that. And then I was really grateful that like, I didn't even know that you said anything. Mm-hmm. It just was, it was like, and then I was like, gosh, what if I like just happened in my whole life? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just tragedy. So yeah, I mean, it's a story for the fucking books. Yeah. Like what do you want to make sure that people get out of this story? It's a good question. I, th- what I want to say is like, show up, like get over to that person's house and, show up and be there because you'll never regret it that you did, but you will regret that you didn't. Like I think of times in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, if I didn't show up, Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that has to get done. There's a lot of things and not everyone can do that. Like there's not, you're not always the right person. Yeah. But if you know, you are like, get, get over to that person and do what needs to be done because you know i i've benefited so much from people taking care of me when i was sick yeah mm-hmm. and i i know that i know what that feels like yeah and i know what it feels like when people don't show up yeah and you'll you'll never regret showing up even if you you know don't do the right thing or say the right thing showing up makes all the difference yeah it does show up and let it be weird I mean, had you not been there and had you not spent the night, you wouldn't have been there to know that I wanted to go. Right. And then, you know, it would have been a whole different situation if I had to go alone or with someone different. And it's not that like there wasn't any reason that I didn't want anybody else to go with me. It was just that I needed someone who could like unemotionally take care of business. Right. And it just was able to be done. Um, What do I want people to know? I want people to know that like, that's like a, it was a really scary thing to just tell that story because it's so, it's so traumatic 
And, you know, I, I think that people could say that I'm telling it for like other reasons. And I, God for, you know, I'm not like at all. Like I did not want to say it, but I do feel better having shared it because I know that everybody has that story. I know lots of people who have found, I went to the caring place after this happened and six of the women had found their spouses dead, Mm. you know, from either like hanging or gunshot wound. So there's, there's in all you know, all sorts of people. It's not just me who like have to do these sorts of things. Um, as Scott liked to remind me, you are not special in your struggle, Amy. <laughs> Everyone struggles. <laughs> That's his favorite thing he told me. Um, <laughs> your life is not that hard. Uh, because you know, and I just, <laughs> could you just say, see, I'm saying that. Yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. You're not. You're not so special in your struggle. Oh, and I, and I could feel him saying that too, which is why we made light and we made jokes. And I was like, ah, oh, he was like begging me to come out West to see him. And I was like, look, you did it. And I talked to him the whole time I was out there. Like, I was like, look, you did it. You got me in the sunshine on vacation as I was sitting by the pool, like making these calls, not a vacation, but like as a joke, like however people are responding, whether it's like with laughter or tears or just wanting to be left alone, like just show up, show up cook dinner, offer to watch the kids, take the dog for a walk. Take the kids. Take the kids for days. (laughs) Just take them because being a mom in that time is so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or a dad or, you know, anything. Um, I don't know. I guess another part is I just tell your scary story. Yeah. Tell the ugly stuff. Like I lived in secret because bipolar is ugly. My whole Mm -hmm. 17 years. And, um, I don't want anyone else to have to do that mm-hmm. because so I, what you need to start with is to stop justifying why you're telling your story and cause that's what you just did for the past five minutes. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you asked me what I wanted people I know, to get from it. But and you I said, I'm not telling it for reasons that, you no, know, what I'm saying, what I meant to say, I, I see what you're saying, but what mm-hmm, I meant mm-hmm. to say is I feel like, other people would think like, well, I don't want to be sensational and I don't want to like get pity and I don't want to get these things. And like, honey, you have not shared how he has passed away in this year that we have done this podcast, right? Because you did not want to make it a like salacious detail that, you know, for that reason, this is your first time speaking out and telling people what happened. Yes. And And that's painful. It is. It's extremely painful and extremely hard, but it can be done and there's freedom in it. I'm glad you feel freedom in it. I'm, I'm really proud of you for sharing about it. Yeah. I think that my whole life with Scott was a lot of secrets mm-hmm. and, and because we were ashamed and living in secrets just causes a lot of pain and a lot more suffering. And I know from our listeners, when they reach out to us, a lot of them live in secrets. Yeah. And so putting it out on the table, um, can possibly bring you healing and possibly the person you're telling. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you mind if I share, um, a social media post that he put up a year before he died? Okay. To all of you who have laughed with at me, oh, these many years. Thank you. Many have run screaming, but some didn't. That's you. For those who didn't, I think we should look back together and remember all the stupid, hilarious, brilliant, and befuddling times we've had. 
I'm sure I've hurt many or all of you, and for that, I'm sorry. We've hung on this long. Let's have a conversation and reflect. My memory is on the mend, but I'm sure there's a lot that I just flat missed. What I'm asking is simple. Communicate with me in any way you find convenient. I'd love a phone call or a beer or dinner or water park, but I'd accept email, text, Facebook message, beeper. Oh, my eyes are watering, so I can't see. (laughs) Wire style burner you bought at Walmart (laughs) or Raven. (laughs) When I get enough ridiculous, meaningful, beautiful shit, I'm compiling it, retelling it, turning it into a memoir, novel, screenplay, etc. I love a good story, and I want to tell this one first. Seriously, come through. Thanks, gang. I wanted to share that because he was asking for yes. communication. But they didn't. He didn't hear from anyone. He was Maybe asking. a handful of people, but yeah. that was it. That breaks my heart. But you're telling the story. You're telling the story. I hope I do it justice. You are. But I also wanted to share so that when your friends are asking for you to contact them, yeah, do it. Show up. Show up. I think this is a good place to bring this to a close. Right, folks. Love each other hard. Hard. um, And take care of one another. We love you. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Follow us on Instagram where you'll find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at unqualified therapists at gmail.com. We love to hear from you until next week. Warriors hold on. We're going to make it. Yeah,